again to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. Don't want to go with me. Don't want to go with me. Don't want to follow. Don't want to go with me. Still I will follow. Don't want to go with me. Still I will follow. No turning back. No turning back. Amen. Amen, church family. What a great celebration last weekend where we got to baptize people in the creek, gather together as a church and to fellowship and celebrate the Lord. I had a chance to connect with a 73-year-old woman who was in from out of town and just came to see what happened. And she said, in the 73 years I've been going to church, this is the best worship service I've ever been to. It was so sweet and just kind and just a a great celebration of the Lord. It was fun seeing other families um, who are gathered for different reasons at Orr Park in Montevallo. They came and they watched and just observed and it was just a wonderful celebration of the Lord and of the gospel. You see, Westwood as a church, we exist to invest in people who will impact their world for Jesus. We are about the Great Commission. We want to see people come to know Christ, to be baptized, raised to walk a new life, and then go and reach more people with the gospel. We want to see as many people as possible become followers of Jesus. And I praise God for what he has done, is doing, and will do within the life of our church. You know, one of my all-time favorite heroes of the faith is 19th century American missionary Adoniram Judson. He grew up as a preacher's kid went to college, and abandoned the faith. Through a series of providential circumstances, God saved him, and then shortly afterward called him to go to Burma, which is modern-day Miramar, to go and preach the gospel. And throughout his ministry, he experienced unspeakable suffering for the sake of the gospel. One such moment of suffering happened in February of 1812. While on the open seas headed for the mission field, Judson's wife, Anne, gave birth on the ship to their first baby, who was born dead. The second child that they had, while born in Burma, um, lived only to be 17 months, and then he died. And when their second child had died, Adoniram's wife, Anne, wrote these words. Our hearts were bound up with this child. We felt he was our earthly all, our only source of innocent recreation in this heathen land. But God saw it was necessary to remind us of our error and to strip us of our only little all. Oh, may it not be in vain that he has done it. May we so improve it that he will stay his hand and say, it is enough. How is it possible for someone to go through unspeakable suffering and go through incredible pain, come to the point in which they find that God is all satisfying? You see, suffering, grief, sorrow, these are experiences that followers of Jesus cannot avoid. And yet simultaneously, God in his kindness offers something to his children that the world can never find, joy. We can find joy in the pain. That is Simon Peter's point in 1 Peter chapter 1. Let me show you. Grab your Bibles and turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 1. 
We're going through a sermon series as a church entitled Imperishable, in which we are walking through the first epistle, the first letter of Simon Peter. And in this letter, he is challenging, he is encouraging believers who are suffering, who are being persecuted for the faith, not to back down. Stand firm in the true grace of God. Be faithful to Jesus even in the midst of suffering. And he writes this letter from Rome to believers who are scattered throughout modern-day Turkey. And he wants to challenge them to be faithful to the very end. And in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6, Simon Peter says this. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. So that the tested genuineness of your faith more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Here in the text, we see two purposes that trials play in the life of a follower of Jesus. Let me show you the first one. I want you to see number one, trials produce deep pain and great joy. Look at verse six. He writes, in this you rejoice, so now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. A phrase in this is a reference to the previous three verses. Peter is pointing his readers back to the fact that they have been born again to a living hope. They have an inheritance that cannot fade, spoil, or perish. It is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. The people are rejoicing over the good news that in Christ, they have new hearts, they have new lives, they have a future, they have an inheritance that has been promised to them that is coming as they remain faithful to Jesus. But this rejoicing isn't like a momentary happiness. This word that Peter uses here, it has an intensity behind it. It means abundant joy, Great rejoicing, exceeding gladness. It's kind of like the extreme joy that a bride will have on her wedding day. It's the extreme joy that comes on a, for a grandparent on the moment that that grandbaby is born. You see, this great joy that God affords to us is available to all believers who are following Jesus, and it's based upon what God has already done for us in the gospel. And yet, simultaneously, there is also deep pain. In verse 6, Simon Peter says, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. You see, trials have begun to come against God's people as he's writing to this first century church. In fact, Peter is anticipating the trials only to get worse. He argues in chapter 4, verse 12, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. In fact, Jesus himself told his disciples that this would happen. In John 16, Jesus says, In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Peter is preparing these believers for suffering that is to come. And for a little while, if necessary, if the Lord sees fit, verse 6, that they have been grieved by various trials. That word grieved, it means deep emotional pain. 
It's, it's equivalent to the, the physical pain that a woman goes through at childbirth. He's connecting that type of pain to the emotional pain that those feel from the suffering that they're experiencing. Listen, following Jesus does not exempt you from suffering. It doesn't exempt you from pain. And it is okay to weep, to groan, to mourn. It's okay to cry. You see, grief is a byproduct of suffering living in this fallen world. But the gospel also teaches us that in the midst of pain, there is tremendous joy. So that's why James tells his, his audience in James chapter 1, verse 2, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds. As you're suffering, as you're hurting, as you're grieving, and as you're mourning, you are commanded, rejoice in the Lord. I will say it again, rejoice, Paul says in Philippians 4.4. 4. You see, it's interesting that even in the book of Philippians, as 14 times Paul uses the word rejoice or the word joy, he's writing from a Roman prison. He is suffering for the sake of the gospel. He is being abused physically because of his commitment to Christ. And yet he is calling upon the Philippian church to rejoice in the Lord. How is that possible? Well, here's the truth. Pain that drives you to Jesus becomes a springboard for great joy. It's a springboard. It leads you to it. Joni Erickson Tada was an active 17-year-old girl who loved riding horses and playing tennis and hiking. And on a Sunday in 1967, she misjudged the depth of the water in the Chesapeake Bay. She dove in and she hit her head. She immediately became a quadriplegic, unable to use her arms or her legs for the rest of her life. A few years ago, she was interviewed by a magazine, and she said this, my weakness, that is my quadriplegia, is my greatest asset. Because it forces me into the arms of Christ every single morning when I get up. As long as I come to God with my need, I am promised more than enough grace to help me smile. Not in spite of my disability, but because of it. And that's good. You see, pain that drives you to Jesus becomes a springboard for joy. Maybe today you are feeling the fear and the anguish over the bad news that you have received from the doctor. Maybe you are still grieving from the death of a loved one and it feels like a kick in the stomach. Or maybe the sin of someone you love has brought you just tremendous grief. Maybe you're experiencing pain that just will not go away. Hear, hear me today. The trial that you are experiencing right now has not caught God off, off, off guard. He's not surprised. And this storm that you are in, it has been ordered by divine love. God in his sovereign mercy knows that you have been grieved by various trials and he is not far off. He is not a deity who spins the earth into existence and then disengages like the God of Islam. He's not a divine watchmaker who creates and then backs away. No, 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 no. He engages. He's not only Lord of the universe, he has compassion with you. He loves you. 
He knows everything you have experienced. In fact, he himself has experienced and felt everything that you have gone through and are going through. He is a God who is not far off, but he took on flesh in the form of his son. And he has experienced all that you have experienced in the midst of the gospel. And the beauty is that at the cross, Jesus experienced both great pain and great joy. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2 says, Fixing our eyes upon Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who, watch this, for the joy, for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of God the Father. You see, because Jesus went to the cross and took our pain, he gives us his joy when we turn our hearts towards him. Whatever you're dealing with today, the suffering, the pain, the grief, the Lord is not far off. He is near. He loves you. And he knows everything that you're going through. He has empathized with you through his son. And he says, I'm going to take away your pain one day. But for right now, I'm going to give you my joy. A joy that cannot be taken away. And it's only because Christ has died and because Christ is risen are you and I able to agree with the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 6.10 in the sense in which we are sorrowful yet always rejoicing. We are in the midst of sorrow and yet we have joy. Trials produce deep pain and great joy. But number two, I want you to see that trials prove authentic faith. Verse 7, Peter writes, So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You see, God is in pursuit of producing within you an authentic faith. Well, how does God produce a genuine faith? Well, Peter tells us. He tests it with the fire of various trials. So to describe what this process of testing is like, Peter compares it to gold that is going through a refiner's fire. To refine this precious metal, a goldsmith will turn up the temperature. He will increase the intensity of the heat of a fire. And this smelting process puts the gold under such great pressure that the impurities within the gold rise to the top where the goldsmith will wipe away all of that dirt and impurity. And the moment that the goldsmith knows that it has been purified and it is ready is that he can see a reflection of his face in the gold. Don't miss this. God the Father, the ultimate goldsmith, takes our faith and puts it into the heart of fire so that the sin within our hearts rises to the top and he might wipe it away. And he will continue to take us through this process until his face shines in us. This is why the Apostle Paul says in Romans 8, 29, therefore those whom he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed into the image of his son. 
God wants you to look like Jesus. And he will do whatever it takes. So he will take your faith through the trial so that the face of Jesus might shine forth. The purification process reveals the true value and the authenticity of your faith. Last night during our family worship time around the dinner table, I was walking through these, these verses with my family and, and I asked this question to my kids, is gold valuable? And my son, who's six years old, Nathan, he doesn't have his front teeth right now, he grinned and he said, oh yes, but it isn't gooder than Jesus. I was like, ah, come on now. You want to preach tomorrow, buddy? You ready? He's exactly right. Gold is valuable. But God sees something that is far more valuable than gold. It's your faith. He wants your faith to shine. Don't miss this. In the eyes of God, your faith is far more precious and valuable than gold. Just as a goldsmith will put gold through fire to purify it, so God puts his children through trials to purify and refine our faith. Make a side note here. Parents, one of the best teachers your child will ever have is pain. And when you seek to protect your child from all kinds of pain, you feel like you're serving them, but you are not. Okay, if, 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 if trials are God's design for us to, to be prepared for the future, a future weight of glory, we have gotten to a point where we try and protect our kids from what's very best from them. We have become a culture that's afraid of pain. How have we gotten to the point where we are storming the beaches of Normandy to now we have safe spaces on college campuses to protect people's feelings? We've gotten to the point where we're afraid of hurt. We're afraid of pain. Parents, one of the best things you can do to prepare your kids for the future is not to always protect them from the pain. In fact, pain may very well be the sword that the Lord yields to conform them into his image. And one of the ways that you help your child begin to grab hold of the faith so they take personal ownership in it is that their faith goes through a trial and it comes out on the other side not because they're banking on your faith but now it's theirs. I know whom I have believed and I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have entrusted unto him until that day. This faith is mine and I'm not backing down. Listen, if we're gonna fulfill the great commission in our generation, which I pray we do, it's because we're raising up a generation of kids who aren't afraid to take a punch for the sake of the gospel. Placing within them a backbone of steel, not being afraid to take risks. That's the kind of kids I want to raise up in which they're not afraid to back down because they're not afraid of pain. To get to the point where they can say, listen, what's the worst they can do to me? Kill me? Guess where I get to go? You see, there's, some, there's things that are a lot worse than pain. There are things a lot worse than death, and it's disobedience. And I want to raise up a generation within our church of kids and teenagers who are saying, I'll go. I'm not afraid. I'll take risks because I know God's with me. He's for me and not against me. He's got my back. He lives inside of me. He has a future for me. 
This is the kind of future we want to create for our kids. Well, we rob our kids of great strength in the gospel if we're always seeking to protect them. You see, God ordains trials to prove the authenticity of your child's faith. You may be thinking, well, I'm mama bear. That's what I do. I protect my kids. Well, you could be standing in the way of God's blessing of your children through pain. And there is a sense in which it is right and good to seek to protect your kids. But there's also a sense if we say, over my dead body, will I let anything bad happen to my child? You may be robbing them of one of their greatest gifts in Christ. Is God is up to something bigger here. God wants to conform his children to look like Jesus. And Peter tells us, verse 7, he does it with the fire of various trials. Entrust your children to God. One of the ways that your child will discover the authenticity of their faith is by going through the trial and they're trusting in Jesus through it all. You see, trials are God-ordained opportunities to hold tighter to Jesus. God creates these moments so that we might cling tighter to him. Say, I don't want the things of this world anymore. Just, just give me Jesus. You see, one of the joys that I have as your pastor is I get a front row seat to seeing God work in your life, to see moments where suffering and pain comes and yet the grace and the joy of Jesus is alive and well in and through you. And it doesn't make sense to a watching world. Well, I've gotten to see it recently. Elise Helton is a Westwood member who is currently a student at the University of Alabama. This past year, she was shocked when she was diagnosed with aplastic anemia. In essence, this means that her body has stopped producing blood. Elise is a beautiful, smart, kind young woman who loves Jesus. I talked to her this week, and she told me that after being diagnosed, she said, my response at first was, the Lord has given, the Lord has taken away, blessed be the name of the Lord. And I know that the Lord let this pass through his hands and he is worthy of praise. Even if I were to die at age 20 without accomplishing anything, that's okay. God is so much bigger than I had thought. I can rest that he is big and he can be trusted. She needed a bone marrow transplant to save her life. Thankfully, her brother Zach was the perfect match. I was astounded this week as she started connecting these gospel dots through this trial. Listen to this. Zach was willing and eager. He was glad to give his blood for mine. So Jesus was willing and eager and glad to give his blood for us. Zach's blood was the perfect match that could save her life. So Jesus was the perfect sacrifice to save our lives. Elise said, I had nothing to offer him, but he loved me anyway. So Jesus loves us, even though we have nothing to offer him. By God's grace, Elise was spiritually healed at a young age when she believed the gospel. And by God's grace, and through the blood that has been provided through her brother, she has been physically healed. She has been cured. And all glory and honor goes to the Lord. You see, in the, praise God, absolutely, praise God. 
Through the trials, God is faithful. And he affords joy to his children. Trials prove authentic faith. So what about you? When your trial comes, not if, when your trial comes, how do you respond? Let me give you three ways from here in the text of how you can respond when trials come your way. The first is this, choose joy. Choose joy. Verse six, Peter writes, in this you rejoice. This means daily, intentionally directing the gaze of your heart towards Jesus. It's not just a one-time problem here. It's not a one-time commitment saying, okay, Lord, I'm trusting you. It's, it's moment by moment. And the heavier the trial, the heavier the weight, the more frequently you must go to the throne of grace. And so as the pain is strong and the weight is heavy, God says, continually come to me, continually come to me. You gotta choose the joy that I will provide. Maybe God will take away the trial. Maybe he won't. You see, the apostle Paul begged God three times in 2 Corinthians 12 to take away this thorn in his flesh. Jesus, please take away this thorn. I don't want it anymore. Three times he asked Jesus. And all three times Jesus said, no. My grace is sufficient. For my grace is perfected. My strength is perfected in your weakness. So in the midst of your trial, choose joy. If you don't, you rob yourself of the benefit and you rob God of the glory. So in your trial, in the pain, choose joy. Number two, endure the season. Endure the season. Verse six, Peter writes, it's, it's for a little while. Trials are not permanent. They're not forever. They're just seasons. Eventually, it's gonna go away. Now, we know because the gospel is true, Christ has died, Christ has risen, indeed, Christ is coming again. There's coming a day in which cancer will be no more. There's coming a day in which Alzheimer's will be no more. There's coming a day in which persecution is no more. There's coming a day in which death is done away with. It will be thrown into the lake of fire and it will remain there forever. That is a promise. So right now, you endure this season. But Kenneth, what if this season is for the rest of my life? Listen to the word of God answer that question. In 2 Corinthians 4, 17, Paul writes, for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. So Kenneth, you're, you're, you're calling my, my suffering light? No, 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 no. Listen, the Lord says it's light, it's momentary, and it's doing something. It's preparing you for an eternal weight of glory. So in the cancer, in the grief over a spouse, as you struggle through this life, God is doing something. He's preparing you for your inheritance. He's preparing for you a future. He's preparing you for an eternal weight of glory. 
Paul says it this way in Romans 8, 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. So maybe you're gonna have to suffer until you take your last breath, but the Lord says this is light and it's momentary. This ain't forever. It's a season that God has called you to. So as you walk through this season, choose joy, endure the season, keep your eyes on Jesus, don't back down, keep the faith, keep following Christ. Why? Because number three, there's a reward that's coming. Anticipate the reward. Verse seven, that we may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You see, responding to a trial with faithfulness to Jesus will result in his commendation. We will receive his affirmation. You see, when Jesus returns and we stand before him and we give an account for our lives, we are going to hear words. Words, verse seven, of praise and glory and honor. These are words that we long to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. That's our reward. Faithfulness to Jesus will receive his affirmation. There's a reward coming, y'all. So be faithful to the end. It was November of 1873, and a famous lawyer from Chicago named Horatio Spafford was taking his family on a vacation to Europe. Because of business, he was held back, and so he sent his wife and his four daughters on a ship across the Atlantic. When the ship got across about halfway, it crashed, killing 226 people, including his four daughters. His wife was spared. He received news about what had happened. And he got on a boat and tried to get to his wife on the other side of the Atlantic to comfort her. And as his ship is coming upon the place where his daughters had died, he wrote these words. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, Whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. When you go through trials, when you suffer and grieve and mourn, the gospel says God provides you joy. There is joy in the pain. And this joy is blood bought. And it is risen, it is ruling and reigning on high, waiting for you so that when the suffering comes, you can have joy and declare from your heart, it is well. It is well.